Uh, this is John Martinka, and welcome to our Getting the Deal Done podcast series. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Scott Rockfeld, a um, former Microsoft employee and management employee. And Scott and I have known each other for uh, one to two years. And Scott has the interest in owning his own business and found a small company that really wasn't active, but it had what he wanted, a product he was enthused about, uh, all the IP, including patents, trademarks, the digital, uh, the molds, and all the tooling to make this product. And a couple owners who were elderly were not active with it, and he tried to get a deal, and he wasn't able to. And he's going to talk about the lessons he learned. And we're going to start with the power of relationships. And Scott, what are your thoughts on a relationship between buyer and seller? Great. Well, thanks for having me, John. Um, it was really a, a, an amazing nine-month experience around this. And uh, one of the foundations for really closing a business is, as you mentioned, around relationships. And there was kind of three learnings I got out of this. Uh, one was really knowing what the sellers want out of the deal. And sometimes you have to peel the onion on this one because it's not really obvious even to the sellers. Uh, in my example, um, you know, the, the sellers told me that they really want to see their baby succeed and, and get a payoff if the business became lucrative. But really, I started to peel the onion and I noticed they kept on saying they wanted to get back the money that they invested or they kept talking about how much money and sweat equity they put into it. And so even they didn't expressly say it, but they really wanted to get paid back for all that hard work and money that they invested. Uh, so knowing what upfront what they want. Uh, the second one is to get to know the sellers. I mean, this is kind of obvious, you know, who they are, what they want, what their situation is, you know, the financial situation, the community, the family, their interest. But one thing that was valuable to me is finding out how they negotiated, what they, what motivated them and what they liked and disliked about negotiating. This uh, couple who owned this business really did not like conflict and they didn't like disagreements. So instead of kind of jumping on the phone with me and saying, hey, I disagree with you about this, let's work through it, they really kind of shut down. And that caused a lot of angst because I thrive on uh, those conversations and working through those challenges, but they didn't. So I really should have uh, talked to as many people as I possibly could to understand how they resolved conflict. And the final one is, uh, and this was, John, you kind of talked to me about this very early on, is ensuring our incentives are aligned. Uh, we really, if you go into it with, this is a zero-sum game, if I pay less, you know, I win, if, they, if I pay more, they win, uh, we really get stagnant. So once we change the deal to a royalty payment where if I won or successful, they became successful, uh, it, it started to go a lot better in the negotiations. Okay, you know, one thing you said that I'll emphasize is when they wanted to get paid for their sweat equity, there is no value to sweat equity when buying an ongoing company uh, or even the company you were talking to. And just the other day, I talked to an owner and he said, well, you can't value my company just the way everyone else does because we've been in business for almost 30 years. And I said, well, big deal. You've been in business for 30 years. So talk a little bit about the, you know, your thoughts on the process of working with those sellers. 
Yes. Um, you know, you always, again, something you advise me, which I'll talk about later on, is uh, bringing in those experts, whether it's an accountant or a lawyer, but also bringing in some of these uh, experts, even specifically lawyers, can sometimes uh, derail the conversation or even the relationship. And what I found was uh, whenever we had a conversation about business and the lawyers were brought in, it actually made it more complicated and expensive. You know, like a lot of lawyers really talk about um, about risk versus finding creative solutions. So I found when it was just the owners and me talking, we could get creative in how we solve for something. So for example, they wanted a bigger royalty and I was able to say, okay, I'll provide you a bigger royalty, but let's shorten the term uh, that I would pay that royalty in exchange. So making sure that you you separate those business and legal conversations is, is really important. And the second one, uh, which was, Agree to talk at least once a week directly, no matter whether you have something to discuss or not. It's really about building those relationships and to discuss any timely concerns or issues that can get in the way. Uh, as an example, remember how I talked about these owners didn't want to de like dealing with conflict. Well, there was an issue that or an assumption came up very early on that they made an assumption about an action I took on during my due diligence. And it was my, not my intention, but they they started to question uh, what my intentions were. Well, if we would have had a regularly scheduled call, we could have nipped that in the bud and avoided any of that concern later on. And okay. Uh, just make sure you set up that weekly meeting because it will make sure that you avoid any of those conflicts or misunderstandings, no matter where you are in the negotiation process. Okay. You mentioned uh, the glitch came up during due diligence. Talk about due diligence and what you learned. Sure. There were really two things that I learned about uh, due diligence. Um, first thing is that Sometimes the owners don't even know. Uh, you know, these are small business owners that a lot of times have started the business from scratch. And so they may have forgotten uh, what had happened along the way. You know, for example, when I was doing my due diligence, I found that the patents that the owners owned were sometimes owned by the corporation, sometimes owned by their LLC, which turned into their corporation, and one was even owned by an individual. So in order to close that deal, I would they would have had to clean up their business or clean up their house so I wouldn't run into any issues later on. They weren't being dishonest. They just didn't realize it, that they didn't do things consistently uh, along the way when they grew their business. And the second one is, uh, and as we all know this, and uh, due diligence has gotten kind of easier along the way, is that the internet is our friend. Um, when I found out the patents were owned by the corporation, I, I reached out to the sellers and they told me that they dissolved their uh, Delaware corporation, so I shouldn't have to worry about it. It's all about their LLC and their individual and they can fix that. But I actually went online, went to Delaware.gov and found out, just paid like 20 bucks and found out that their Delaware Corporation had not been accurately dissolved. Now, again, the sellers did, weren't being dishonest. They just didn't know. And so make sure you do your due diligence no matter what the sellers tell you. You bring up an interesting point uh, about the information request and not knowing I just went through this. I was working with a company who was, the owner was approached by someone in his industry. And the deal that put on 
cold due to some other outside factors. But his comment to me was, I've come to realize we're not really ready to provide all the information a buyer wants for due diligence. It can be overwhelming to a small business. Uh, all that you, the buyer, the, if there's a bank and the attorneys want to see. Right. Actually, uh, you know, pitching uh, your book, your book was really my guidebook along the way. And there was a, a checklist uh, that you had in your book around what due diligence to do. And I, I literally followed it to the T and that was really valuable. So let's finish up with, you know, I think you've used the term with me, a look in the mirror. Talk about what you learned as you look at yourself. Sure. And there were kind of three things uh, when I talked about looking in the mirror. One was, you know, we, we talk about BATNA, your best alternative to negotiating agreement. Know that upfront. I really didn't spend a lot of time thinking about what would happen if the deal fell through. And if I did, I would have realized that my BATNA, um, my best alternative to negotiate agreement, was to recreate the business on my own, whether it was the new brand, product variant, supply chain, et cetera. Um, but I didn't do this up front and I spent too much time and money trying to close the deal. I should have honestly seen the, seen the light and, and shut the negotiation down myself much earlier and saved that time. The second one was uh, don't get ahead of yourself. And this is around spending that time and money. Um, if I got, I, I, I really got too emotionally invested in it. Uh, and I started to make bad decisions. Towards the end of it, I was trying to save the deal and I started to adjust my terms that, that I would have never done at the beginning. And it's just because I got too involved in it and too emotionally invested in it. And that really brings me up to the third point and why you, know, you and I have been talking for you know, one to two years is, you know, talk with or, or hire an expert. There are business consultants and brokers such as yourself, um, which can help a business buyer such as myself uh, through the ups and downs and complexities of a business acquisition. You know, I, I used your, while I didn't hire you directly, I, I did buy your book and, and used it around the structuring the deal, uh, hiring lawyers and accountants to help me along the way. Um, but I would say that um, somebody like yourself really can help not only the, with the details, but similar to a financial advisor can keep a business buyer from making emotional and, and sometimes irrational decisions as there's complexities in closing the deal. Yeah, I think that's very important. Uh, and I know I've mentioned this to you before, but uh, I've had clients say to me, the biggest value they get is just the behind the scenes stuff, someone to talk to, someone to keep them on track, not let them get buyer fever. But at the same time, sometimes push them over the fence when they're getting analysis paralysis. Yes. Scott, I really appreciate this. Uh, I, one of the things I jumped out, that jumped out on me was having call with the seller every week, even if there's nothing to discuss. Uh, something like that is so important and everyone should pay attention to that. So on that note, I am going to say I appreciate your doing this and uh, you know, I hope the lessons you learn will pay off for you in the future. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for having me.